Hello and welcome to My Big Break, the motorsport podcast that looks at the journey that the drivers and team bosses have been on to reach F1 and how things could have taken a very different course. I'm Chris Medland and in this episode we've got a driver who just keeps knocking on the door to get into Formula 1 as Alex Albon joins me to discuss his fight through the junior ranks, being left without a budget but with a pivotal F2 drive and having to burn some bridges to make his dream come true. It's a pretty remarkable tale of resilience as he prepares for his second chance in Formula One with Williams in 2022. So Alex, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you here. And um, from your point of view, we're looking at something that's all a little bit more fresh. Sometimes we talk about ex-drivers or drivers that are just about to retire. But a driver (laughs) that's... hope not. Well, exactly. (laughs) A driver who's been here for a little bit longer than some, but is about to start the next phase of their F1 career. You've had some ups and downs in that window already. Mm, Yes. I want to take you all the way back, though, to the Intrepid Driver Program. That's a throwback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But because what is it, essentially? Like, it, is that a stepping stone into karting where they help people? Is it just a nice uh, name and, and you had to find your own money? Like, did that open <laughs> doors to racing for you? I would say it was a nice name. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think now. But, yes, so Intrepid was uh, an Italian kart team with a... Um, Still, 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 still runs to this day, um, and they kind of did have some kind of um, way into single seaters. But by the time I joined, that stuff kind of either they they already s- used it for different drivers, and I think uh, Marcello, Raffaele Marcello, was one was was the guy that they used. I think, mm. um, and so at that point, like I came a little bit later, and um, I must have been thirteen or so, fourteen. Um, and it was one of the top teams to be with. It was not clearly the best one, but it was among the the, the top three. And um, some for some reason, um, it just so happened to have myself, Charles, George, um, and then a few others who 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 were very quick. Just yeah, just ending up to be in racing against each other as teammates. At that point, though, I guess you don't have any idea what's what's to come. You just think yeah. this is what everyone else is like. Exactly. You thought, um, who's this long-haired kid called Charles? <laughs> <laughs> Justin Bieber-looking kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and George, yeah. We, we were... Um, I was slight... Well, I was kind of the same age as Charles, maybe a year older than both of them, um, which put me in a different category to them. I was always really young when I was doing my karting stuff, so I was like in KF2 when they were in KF3 and KF1 when they were in KF2, so... Um, yeah, we, we we were slightly offset, but at the same time still grew up with each other and still, um, yes, I wouldn't say uh, we were um, super, super close at that stage, but obviously we just ended up spending so much time with each other once we got through from carts into, into Formula 1. So you mentioned KF1 there. Was it at the end of 2011 and the KF1 successful season you had that Red Bull then came knocking and, and put you as part of the programme, or was it yeah. later? Actually, uh, before I even say about that, I have a good story about the Intrepid Driver Program. <laughs> I was in twenty from twenty ten, end of twenty ten. Um, I was uh, I beat Max to become this. Guy. It's called like the the world champion, European and world champion. And uh, I was then went. I, I moved up category. So from KF three, I jumped straight to KF one. Mm. And uh, before I jumped across, uh, I was kind of the reference driver slash the one who they would ask, okay, who should we choose for next year? Because basically they had this huge amount of drivers wanting to be in the team 
for the next for the following year, and uh, so I was kind of Ch- Charles George was there, Esther Banacon was there, mm-hmm. um, and there was a few of them, and I was kind of like the reference driver, and I would say, listen, this, these these guys are quick, these guys maybe not so quick, and uh, and yeah, so George and Charles were were there at that day, so. Essentially, we're looking for your big break, but everyone else's big break is because of what you <laughs> said at that time. <laughs> they they were they were always going to sign, probably, um, but yes, they they <laughs> yeah maybe so maybe so. Do you ever let them forget it? Um, I think they've already forgotten it. <laughs> I don't know if they remember. It. I've never actually brought it up to them. I remember George though, because I remember George was this just young young kid. But he's only he was he he grew with the same height now, but back then he was much shorter than I was, mm. and. Um, and yeah, I remember he, because I think Charles joined later, um, in during the year. But George was was already the quick one out of the the guys that I was like, I was like, oh, everyone else I could kind of just pull away and and drive away. But George was the one who I was like, oh, this guy can, <laughs> he's keeping up. <laughs> he's um, all right. So yeah, he's all right. <laughs> he's all right. This guy. So yeah. So you're like the helmet Marco of the Intrepid <laughs> Driver Program. Is that what we're saying? As a as a <laughs> as a fourteen year old kid, thirteen yeah. year old kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you phoning George up and being like, "Have <laughs> so a good weekend." Listen to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then, well, speaking of Red Bull, so then they hire you as a junior. Yes. What did the support entail at that stage? Because did it feel like this is my big opportunity, or was it a lot smaller at that point? Um, it was a weird one. So I, I was already part of Red Bull when I was in in. I'd like to say 2008. Okay. So even before, it, when I was doing British racing, but it was more to do with the drinks. I don't know if you guys follow around a little bit, but you can either be sponsored by, let's say, the, the Red Bull racing team, which is kind of Dr. Marco and that side of it, mm. or you can just be sponsored by the um, the local market. So it could be you know, Red Bull Thailand or Red Bull UK, you know, y- there's different sides to it. Does that make you yeah. a Red Bull athlete if you're sponsored by yeah, the market? Yeah, more or less a Red Bull right. athlete. But still, of course, um, well, fortunately, with my car success, I, s- I was still kind of attached to Dr. Marco in some some respects. So he did give me the o- odd phone call. Maybe not a long in- intensive one, but just more of a like a, oh, well done, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Is that um, your impression? <laughs> that's my <laughs> half impression. I won't go for the impression here. Probably safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so that was it, really. Um, so I would say it didn't get properly serious until I left Karts. When when I made the step from 2011 to 2012, that was when I made the big change. Um, and suddenly that was when you you know you had to have the meetings. Um, I had my first meeting back in back in MK7 um, in glorious Milton Keynes with with uh, with Helmut. Christian, my mum and my dad. So it's just, that'll be like a personal meeting at that point. So I guess, are they outlining how they see your future going? And if, yeah, if you do like this? exactly. Like, this is what we want to do. This is how we see it. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember the table was moving. We're in a round table. The table was moving around. And my mum thought I was like rocking backwards in my chair like this. And she was like, she was like, like tried to like stop me from doing it. <laughs> But it was actually Dr. Marco doing it. <laughs> he was just swinging around. <laughs> um, but yes, I remember that meeting. Um, and yeah, it was one of them things. I ended up, originally I was supposed to do Formula BMW, um, but I didn't want to. And I said I want to do Formula Renault. Mm. Um, because for me, that was like the, the the biggest step and something which 
where that's where the the competition was. Um, but actually, um, lo and behold, it was a tough decision and most probably not the right decision at the time because it was a very tough year in 2012. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say making that step. Was it partly just because of stepping out of carts into single-seaters? Was it the uh, pressure of them being part of a driver programme? Why do you think it was? Um, I never felt the pressure of being part of a driver programme. I felt like, uh, you know, they're there to assist you and, um, you know, it's it's one of them things. Like, it, 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 it happens, like, you, you got selected and, and that's it. You're kind of part of this process. Of course, there's the pressure of performing, but there always is and there always will be, you know, especially if you're, depends on your situation, but, you know, if, um, if it's tricky, if you have to work for your career in, in, in that sense, in, in the way that you need to find sponsorship and things like that, it's always going to feel like that. Like you're always going to be on the edge of performing and performing is really what gets you the money for the next year. So it's always there. What For me, what I struggled with was the change from carts to cars. It was think some drivers adapt much quicker than others for me it was a bit slower I didn't really do much te- I, I did almost zero testing before um, before cars which was a mistake I think looking back at it now you see it's what looking at kids now it's incredible I mean you got guys testing for Formula 4 when they're you know 12 years old and then you got when they're doing F3 they're testing F2 and there's this whole you know chain of testing that they're doing so when they're rook- by the time they're rookies they're not really rookies they've mm-hmm. actually done more driving than drivers who, who've done a year of racing um, the year before so I was really unprepared and uh, I would say that the the team I was with we were kind of a, a one-man team and themselves they were going through through budget issues they were closing down so mechanics weren't getting paid we had a couple of times where the mechanics were on strike they wouldn't change the car or there was things like that it was all really messy and uh, and even i remember at that time even dr marco he was he wouldn't he would say you know the team's terrible so he said right you're not if the mechanics aren't <laughs> working then we're not going to pay you for the, for the weekend which was like a it was like a double loophole <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like oh no no it's never gonna work but um but yeah, it wasn't that thing. Um, and above all, more than anything, I think I just didn't have the confidence in the car and I was going through a couple of personal uh, setbacks and it all just escalated. And it, I lost a lot of confidence um, during that year. just felt like, you know, you, you come into karting and you feel almost like a... I want, you don't... You don't I, I was never the guy who thought, you know, I was the, I was the man. But I came in... To from carts with a lot of success and was probably expected much more than I actually achieved on my first year and it was kind of one of them things where you're like wow okay you know this is nowhere near as easy as I thought it would be and it took a long time to um, get that confidence um, and it, even my second year wasn't great but it was really my third year in cars where where it started to gel um, so yeah going back to that year in 2012 it was. Um, it wasn't easy. Had a bad year, um, and I, I expected the phone call. I expected the call from to be dropped because it just it I was nowhere near where where I should be. It, I remember it so clearly that moment. It was you know in a hotel room, and when I got told the news, obviously I was really upset about it. But at the same time, I knew it was there was a good chance of it to happen. And the first thing you have to think of when when something like that happens is, what, you know, what do you want to do? Because back then, at that point, I had zero funding. I had nothing. 
growing for me at that point. I was totally reliant on Red Bull. And so moving into, or let's say, to keep racing, it was going to have to be a, a, a decision. And uh, fortunately, through um, well, through just close family and friends, it was kind of that feeling like, you know what, I'll, go, I'll give it another go, see what we can do. Um, and also through Gwen, who, you know, who now is actually part of the, the Mercedes Young Driver program. He wasn't there at the time, but he was with a company called Gravity, which mm-hmm. is now, well, back then was Lotus. I had a, an affiliation with the Lotus team. Yeah, with Eric Boulier, I think. With Eric Boulier, yeah. exactly. So this is Gwen Legru. Exactly, yeah. Gwen Legru. Um, and started from there and kind of got enough funding f- just to get into a, a form. Again, I did Formula Renault again, and it went from there. So, like you say, that was clearly a big turning point in that your your funding from Red Bull went and yeah. unexpectedly. But yeah. then to find the extra bits was that did Gravity help in that sense as well? Then did did it help to have people that around you that said like, we can support this, or did were you told basically go and get a budget yourself and if you perform, we'll support you? No, they were super supportive. They, um, they put the money up front for me uh, whilst we spent the rest of the year trying to get that money back to them. Um, so it was. Yeah, it was one of them things where it was l- it was very tough, um, but great to feel that kind of support. And even then, you know, tw- twenty thirteen wasn't even that good of a year for me. It still was a was a tricky one. I had, um, yeah, I, I I was getting there, but it was it was it was very tricky. And um, and yeah, it was it was such a shock. And it, especially twenty twelve. Twenty twelve was by far the hardest year I've had as a racing driver. Looking back at it, you know. You can look at everything you've done, but that was almost like a kind of, you know, you see these drivers, let's say like Max or Lewis who come in and they've come in and they kind of explode and they do really well straight away. It wasn't quite like that for me. It was much more like a a slow burner. And then obviously once once it clicked, it clicked, but it did take a while to get there. Do you think then in that sense 2012 though was really important for you for the kind of mental strength that must have given you to bounce back from and, and to maybe know that it won't happen overnight? Massively. And also, it gave me the realization that um, what it, what it feels like to be on the edge of not 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 racing, uh, which as a kid is heartbreaking because obviously it's the one thing you only think about doing. Um, but uh, there's a few times where obviously it came back to me this the same situation, and we just kept going and going and going. So um, yeah, it 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 was one of the biggest things and. And especially personally in my career, let's say outside of racing, it was a very tough year for me. So I definitely grew stronger and I grew hungrier for what I did. I really feel like um, I wasn't fed a golden, was you a silver spoon? Is that the saying? I wasn't fed a silver spoon when I was a kid, but I did have it easy. And uh, I think partly that's why I was successful because everything, nothing really affected me. It was always like, I'm just going to races, I'm having a laugh, and it, it was all fine. Um, where once things start to get on the line, you know, it does take a toll, and it is a different way of um, racing. And you, when you think about F1, it is kind of like that. You know, you, you really are on the line on, on what you're doing. So, um, so yeah, it, it did help. Well, from there, like you say, 2014 onwards is when it really started to, to click. Did it yeah. feel like 14 was the year it had to click, I guess, seeing as 13 had been tough as well? It did, um, but at that point, I started to get comfortable. You know, I was with a team called KTR, who are a great team, 
um, kind of small Belgian team, um, and we were kind of just doing our own thing. Um, and I just got that confidence back, straight back from that. I remember us talking about that karting feeling, um, started to feel in control, and uh, the results just came, and it was kind of an easy, is it an easy flowing year, and um, yeah, it was kind of 2014 was great. It was a a year where um, I started to feel like I was back to back to form, and um, and yeah, it was just I wouldn't say there was anything, nothing that stood out, nothing that I thought, you know, what, this is this is really special, but um, more than anything, it felt like I knew how to drive a single seater, which was something that took, as I said, a, a while f- to get that feeling all the way back from karting to, to cars. Did, did 2015 feel special in F3 as a rookie? Because I'm going to run through mm. how the standings finished up for people that maybe don't know that yeah, year. Sure. And it's easier to look back at now. But you've got Felix Rosenqvist who wins the title from Antonio Giovinazzi. So yep. two, two names that went on and, and did well anyway. But then yes. as rookies, it was Charles in fourth, mm. Lance Stroll fifth, uh, George was sixth and you were seventh. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a good. <laughs> it was an insane year. It was honestly the most incredible, most fun racing in single seaters that I had at that point. And I think I still would say to that to this point because what you would do is you had we had thirty, thirty five, thirty six cars on the grid. Sometimes it was absolute chaos, and you'd get exactly you'd get these drivers who are <laughs> at the very top. You can see a lot of them went into F one, and then on the other side. <laughs> There was obviously there was quite. <laughs> let's just say there was a big uh, difference between. Uh, I think Mahiba had a few races in that yes. season, and he um, we he. <laughs> I don't want to. Say, I don't want to call anyone out. No, I'll, I'll, I'll you, say names. I'll say, say names. the name. I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll. I won't <laughs> put that pressure on you. Name <laughs> came from me. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, and he, oh man, some of the some of the. Um, he, he was he was a proper racer. He would race in practice and qualifying. It doesn't matter the situation. <laughs> <laughs> he was there racing. Um, but it was amazing to to be up against so many people. We were, uh, well, I was in, an, in a new team, which was actually an old team. It was kind of like a um, a revival of a of an existing racing team called Signature, and uh, we were still quite new to it. Um, and uh, it was tricky, but actually looking back at it, it was actually a really really good year because you know there was Prema Carlin, um, and Van Amersfoort, um, which are still to this day some of the top three junior teams um, going right now. And we were kind of this young, new team. Um, everyone pretty much was new apart from uh, the team manager. And uh, there we were, we were getting podiums, we were getting pole positions. Um, and it was quite exciting. Like it was, um, it's always one of them things where when you're in Formula Renault, at least for me, it felt like I know I'm good here, but now I'm starting to, when, once you make that step into F3, it's, it's always like, these guys, some of these guys have done it for three years now. Um, you're really going up against people you respect and, and that you know are really quick. And um, and you kind of feel like, okay, this is, let's see where we are. Let's see kind of how I compare against other people. Um, and to me, it was a, it, yeah, I was really happy with the year. I felt like it was always having good results. Never really had a bad weekend. And uh, I really enjoyed the team, really enjoyed my engineer. I actually took, that engineer came with me into Formula 2 um, in 2018. So yeah. we met up again. Um, but yes, that was a, it was a really good year. 
So well, your career seemed to really speed up at that point because you then went GP3, run up to Charles in an ART that looked yes. very strong, into F2 with ART. Was yeah. that that move to ART, was that crucial? Mm. That was crucial because it was no excuses. It was the time when you would go up in a team where you would know you can't... You, you got the best and you got to perform because you're up against also the best drivers. I think we had, it was Charles myself, uh, Nick DeVries, and Nirei Fukuzumi. And uh, it was kind of like this, um, I wouldn't say, it wasn't like a golden team, but it was most probably at that time, some of the big name standouts going into GP3. And uh, and we're in the best car. And for me, that was the pressure. Was was not so much, I wasn't so worried about um, changing category or anything like that. It was the feeling that um, now I'm now I'm in the best team, and Charles the year before had an incredible year in in Formula Three, and so we need to see how how we compare. And I remember the first test in Abu Dhabi; it was like the December test that mm. everyone does. And it was like, wow, these cars are very different to F three, and I actually struggled a little bit because the Pirellis are just so different to anything. Still to this day, they are just so <laughs> different to everything you ever drive. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, this is going to take a bit of a shock. Um, but it did my career so many favours because before then I was no one. No one really knew who I was. The only people who knew me were the people from karting. Like, kind of had a, let's say, like a, an OG status. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was maybe respected from that kind of side to it. But, you know, in terms of Formula One side, no one really knew about me. So it was great to be able to uh, suddenly be this dark horse, people would say, and be fighting with Charles to the championship. You know, we, we fought to the last race, um, which I was lead, I was leading the race and had a crash with, with Jack Aitken, um, which could have turned out differently. But you never know, you know, them things happen. But it was a great way. It couldn't have been a better year for me career-wise. Um, and it put me, it was the first time I would say I was in the spotlight of that kind of, Formula One opportunity side. So do you think then that crash with Jack, like if you'd have won the title, do you think uh, chances would have come your way quicker if you'd have been champion in um, GP3 and beaten Charles? Truthfully, not really, because back then I was still not affiliated with the Formula One team. Um, so maybe I would have been in that respect, but I don't think it would have changed my career path. I was always going to do F2. Um, and then, you know, Obviously, when I say this, during this time, I was getting funding from, from Thailand and stuff like that. Um, so the performances were coming. And as I said, you know, when the performances come, the money comes as well. And um, going into F2, it was kind of like this. Oh, yeah, it was an opportunity. And it was a great chance to, to I was always going to really go to ART. So it, w it didn't really change in that respect. Um, for me, it was more like, okay, now we've got this F2 chance. Again, more confidence, feeling like, you know, Charles is... Back then, Charles was kind of this, everyone had a feeling he was going to go into F1. He was already doing Fridays in an F1 car in a GP3, which if you think about it now, it's just crazy. Um, so to be able to be considered just around his level, you know, it was kind of us two actually fighting for the championship. Um, it's pr it was pretty special. And, um, and so, yeah, it was a new start. F2, big cars, lots of downforce. Um, and it started off like a good season. It was kind of... Charles went in BAM. He was he was with Prema. Um, I was in arguably just as good of a team. Um, and it honestly started off well. We were always up there, always up at the front. And uh, and it was, a, but it turned out 
to be a really tricky year. It actually got a worse. It was one of them weird years where just nothing really gelled right. So what happened was I I was um, having the, having my year doing doing my thing. I was actually really happy with my first three races. I think qualified second in my first time in Monaco had. Um, some really good opportunities to win races, just safety cars and yellow flags and red flags and qualifying. It was all going, it felt like it was going against me, but I knew that the pace was strong, so I was never really worried. Um, but then I went mountain biking with George um, and broke my collarbone. Can I ask at this point, is it correct that George forgot his bike and you <laughs> gave him your bike and you took an old rubbish bike yeah. just so he could have a yeah. nice one? George, I would say George isn't the best cyclist in the world. Okay, so it's the guy that broke his collarbone. So it's the guy who <laughs> broke his collarbone. Exactly. I would cycle. Let's. Uh, I cycle more than George. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, at that point, we were sharing the same trainer. We're practically living together. He lived about two minutes from my house, but he would eat more food at my house than I ate at my own house. Like he was always coming around. He would, would always have lunch and dinner together. Um, you know, he was like kind of part of the family, and. Um, we were kind of doing, and there was also Nere for Kazumi, so we were like, it was like a trio. We were all just hanging around, doing doing everything together. And um, yeah, we were going to the forest um, right around my house um, for for a cycle, and my front brakes, sorry, my rear brakes weren't working um, on my spare bike, so it didn't really ever affect me because I was using my main bike. Obviously, we were going cycling, so I was like, okay, George, you take you take the good bike. I'll take the one without the rear brakes, which I thought was fine. And we were just going through the woods, and um, we came across, we went somewhere new, which is always a little bit dangerous, but um, it looked fine to me, and I was the first one going down. And um, kind of going down this, it's a very straight path, but it's, we're going, I was going fairly quickly, but not breakneck speed. I'm not some maniac on a bike and uh suddenly there's this kind of w- we didn't realize realize it at the time but we were going down a horse track and there was kind of like this horse jump thing which was like a it was like a it was a tree and a big stumped tree and then the branches were kind of coming across the um pathway but the what was happening the branches were holding back a lot of the dirt so behind the branch there was a huge drop like a massive ah. drop yeah. It was almost like, well, massive. I don't want to make it. A couple of feet big. or something. Yeah, it was like, it was like a ravine. It was like a 50 foot drop. It was yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was it's like, amazing yeah. you survived. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was, it was, t- it was maybe half, half my body. That's, uh, yeah. That, that's so half yeah, about, my about three feet. Three feet, yeah. yeah. Not even that big. But when I saw it, I panicked and I was like, okay, I better hit the brakes. So I hit the brakes and obviously my rear brake didn't work. So I ended up just doing kind of this um, front flip, um, this endo over the over the jump, and because I had a clip-ons on, I also kind of followed my body, landed on my collarbone, broke my collarbone, and that was it. And uh, and from that point on, ew, still to this day, I don't actually know, but I'm I was I'm pretty sure in myself now where I spent the year I spent one race out whilst I was repairing. I mean, I almost got back from broken collarbone to two weeks. I was like, just about to, I was like, oh, I can drive. That I was Baku, I, wasn't I it? Did, yeah, I did surgery, I did everything. I did like a full-on program. Um, 
And during Baku, um, the guy who replaced me had a crash, quite a big crash in the, the castle section. Was it Sergei? Sergei, yeah, Sorokin, yeah. exactly. And um, had this damage, whatever. He had a crash. Didn't really, I didn't, really, I watched on TV, uh, doesn't matter. And uh, came back, it was the first race back was, was uh, Red Bull Ring. And Red Bull Ring was okay, but it wasn't. I came back and I was expecting a bit more. I finished like fifth and sixth. And then from that point onwards, it was a disaster. Like, had a terrible season. And it was just one of them seasons which just never clicked. And, um, you know, I'd never want to point fingers at anything, but I still believe that um, there was something wrong with the car when, when after the crash. Like, it was never the same. And. Uh, yeah, it was one of them things. It was disappointing at the time, but it was uh, it basically meant from going, I think I was like third in the championship before the um, before the incident to finishing absolutely nowhere. Well, for me, nowhere seventh or something like that, which in a, in a top team was was devastating. And at the same time, you know, it wasn't good enough. And uh, that at that point, you know, I didn't have the funding to go again. And uh, I was back to square one. I was back to 2012. I was back to this feeling like I wasn't going to be able to race. And it was kind of one of them weird things where I finished the season. And, you know, during that whole season, I was just struggling. I was like, what's, you know, it all feels like it's falling away a little bit. And um, what saved me was um, I did a test after the the... I did a test after Abu Dhabi, and it was like a post-season test. And so I had a te- obviously a, a difficult season with ART, and I joined Dams for this post-season test. And it was kind of I still was with um, with Gwen at the time, and he got me this um, test with him. And that's kind of all 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 I wanted was you know to see more for myself mentally what what's going on here. And uh, that test saved me. That test really did save me because I came in. And kind of, you know, with ART and myself, we actually left off on not great terms. Like, it wasn't bad terms, but it wasn't great terms. And uh, I came in, I did this test, and I topped pretty much. It was a three-day test, and I topped pretty much all three days. And it was a little bit like a, oh, okay, you know what? That feels good. That <laughs> that was needed. And it fueled me as well, but it also gave me the incentive of, you know, I just I just need to find a budget. Like if I can get racing, I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to 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 in my eyes win the championship next year. But I just need to find a way to 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 get it. So um it was that thing over the winter where it was just um really tricky. So during that point it was it was really like gotta find some money. Um you know I think most people know this but in Formula Two, a budget you're looking for, you know, in a top team is around two two million, mm. right? I mean, it can go up to that, but a top team can be about two million, which is hu- completely amazing, huge money, huge money. Um, obviously, I wanted to be with Dams. As I said, I was about to work with a guy who I en- who engineered my car in F3 in 2015. So he'd come into Dams. He came into Dams. He came into. He was in the GP3 Dams, mm-hmm. and I wanted him with me in F2. And that was going to be the structure. And I was like, you know what, this all sounds like it's going together. Like it all looks good. The only thing was <laughs> I didn't have any money. Just need five, two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
you know, I was finding bits and pieces, but nothing that could get me close to that amount of money. And uh, and I was sitting there, and I, I just remember these times where, you know, speaking with Francois, who's who's the boss of Dams, and you know, he's a s- super super nice guy, and he was doing everything he could to try and basically fight off people who wanted the seat. You know, he's like, no, no, we'll wait for you, wait for you, wait for you. But it was getting to crunch time. It was getting to the point where it was like, you know, first race is coming about soon. Winter testing is coming about. Um, and there was nothing there. And it was uh, it was one of them really stressful points in my life where I was like, you know, never mind. Not, part of me was thinking, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling here to even get an F2 seat. And I'm going all for it. I, I've got plan A, but I don't have any plan B, plan C. It's all, it was pretty much all or nothing. And um, to be honest with you, I mean, Dan's just let it happen. They 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 took me on for the first race, um, second race, third race, and it was my performances that just kept on giving me time. Really, you know, I was um, I was on the phone, you know, even on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, um, seeing if they put a driver in for me. Because I was pretty much, I had my bags packed. And I didn't know what I was going to be, if I was going to be racing that weekend. And it was literally like, okay, let's get in. Okay, Alex, you can, you know, there's time. We'll, we'll, we, you know, we'll, we'll put it aside, do this race. And that's it. I would book the next flight the next morning and, and head to the track. And it was kind of this, this real on the edge feeling this whole time. And this happened for the first three or four races in the year. And um, unfortunately for me, it was like one of them things where, I was at least, I was there in the championship fight um, straight away, and that was keeping me going. And it was, yeah, it was, it was not nice. But at the same point, it was this weird turnover in my, in myself where I felt like, um, I was so worried about not racing, um, and I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like at some point it turned around where, I didn't care anymore. <laughs> it was quite strange. It was like you know what, I'm at this point now where I'm always stressed and I always don't know what I'm going to do. And it kind of like made me feel like, you know, I don't know, it was weird. It was just like, and so what now? Like you can't keep feeling like this all the time. And it got to a point where if I kind of lost that feeling like if it happens, it happens. If I race it, I race. And um, I started to perform very well. I had like this middle streak during the year where everything went really well. And also at that point, very crucially, Dam said, you know, we're just going to keep you to the end of the season. and We'll try and find a way out later on. Um, and that was it. That was kind of how it went. Um, frustratingly so, you know, George was extremely clear, quick. Mm. It was a new car that year. And actually, ART was, was the car that was the <laughs> one to beat. So I was a bit like, wow, okay. But yeah, it was still a great year for me. And obviously, back then, Charles Lando, they were the two hot shots. They were the ones that everyone wanted. Um, saw in F1 and uh, there I was fighting with them every race so it was a it was a good thing for me um, and it was also obviously putting me back into the limelight um, after a tough 20, 20 2017 it was so yeah it was good really good and um, and yeah I mean we obviously lost out at the end but um, but it was still good Dams clearly were massively influential then in your career for A helping you through that year but B it was then their Formula E team, wasn't it? It was the Nissan yeah. dance team <laughs> yeah. that you were going to join. Yes. And so how, exactly. how was that call when you had to suddenly say to them, or were they already informed, when you suddenly were like, actually, I've got an F1 chance? Like, so were, were they yeah. pleased for you, or was it like, we just helped you this far, and now you're going <laughs> to leave? 
So when I was going through that 2018 career, when I was going through that F2 career, as the moments of them saying, you know what, let's go to the end of the year, during that period also, obviously the Formula E season starts quite early. It starts in December almost. Mm. And um, we were going through this phase where it was like, there was a, it, actually that was it. It was the drive. It was the the big thing about Daniel leaving to Renault. There was just all this movement, um, and there was a space suddenly. Pierre was going to go into Red Bull, and there was this space at Toro Rosso. And I was like, you know what? Like looking at the grid, if I'm ever going to get an F1, there's o- there's only one team I'll ever be able to race with, and that's Red Bull because everyone else is a con- you know there's they have an engine partner, let's say Mercedes or Ferrari with, but no one was really. There was no seats available anywhere apart from Toro Rosso. And I thought, you know what, that's the seat that I can get. Um, so I called Dr. Marco, called him, I remember it was Hungary. And I said to him, hey, hey, um, Dr. Marco, have you got any, um, w- what's the situation basically? You know, <laughs> what have you got here? And Hook uh, me up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he was like, nope, um, sorry, we, we don't have any uh, space. And I was like, it was, it was literally a 20-second phone call. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> okay, he said there's no space. I kind of told him, c- tried to really quickly tell him what I've done and that I'm ready for, for F1. He said, no, you know, uh, if we find something, we'll let you know. But honestly, at the minute, we're not looking for anyone. Uh, we're happy. We, we know who we want. Um, so I was like, okay, whatever. Looks like it's going to be Formula E. And so kind of went down that road, Formula E, la, 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 la. And, uh, and again, you know, it c- got to that situation where <laughs> it got tricky because it was obviously going close from Formula E into Formula 1. Um, and it happened very last minute. Like, I don't want to go into details about how, it <laughs> how, how the whole thing kind of happened, but it was a tricky one because obviously with Nissan tied up and everything like that, it didn't make it as easy as um, as it should as it I was like uh, I wish it had have been to to switch from Formula E to Formula One. Obviously, as a driver my age, I always want to be in Formula One. That's everyone's goal, being a kid. Um, but um, yeah, we just had to you know find a deal, um, and uh, once the deal was sorted, that was it. But I, I do remember the I remember the day. I remember how it happened. I remember it was Russia actually. Um, I remember Dr. Marco called me up into his office um, in Sochi. And by that point, I already signed. I was already announced as a Formula E driver. And he said to me, he was like, um, so uh, we want you to do SIM. This was on a Thursday. We want you to do SIM um, for the team next year as a, as a reserve role. I was obviously the only driver within GP3 or GP or F2 in the top five of each championship who had no deal with any Formula 1 team and I was running second I was like right behind George at that point so in a way I must probably look quite attractive looking at all that kind of stuff and um, I thought you know what this is great <laughs> like I'm being a Formula E driver I'll make pretty okay money in Formula E and I'll be, re- be a Formula 1 reserve driver might even be able to test a couple of times in the Formula 1 car that was that, that was what I was thinking was like you know what if I don't get into F1 uh, it's, it's a shame but I just want to drive it. Like I really just want to drive and feel what these guys are feeling. Cause I'm watching it every, I've been watching it since I was five years old. And I was like, at least I get that bit of it. So I was like, yeah, okay, great. Um, 
And, uh, and so I was kind of excited. I was like, you know, this is, this is going to be really good. And then I had a really, really good <laughs> Russian Grand Prix. I, I won the first race and I went from eighth to third in the second race. And uh, he called me back on a Sunday. So same, same weekend back to the hospitality. I remember his PA like saying, uh, Alex, get, get over here quickly. <laughs> okay. And I come over and then the conversation, you know, changes completely. And, uh, and it was like, um, by the way, you know, uh, what's your situation with your super license points, all that kind of stuff. And he said, do you have any fun, like any budget, any funding? And I was like, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> that guy, <laughs> I'm, I'm scraping it along as it is. And he was like, so he was like kind of smart. He said, okay, okay, let me see what I can do. Um, and that was it. And, you know, lo and behold, there was like Sochi and then straight away it was Abu Dhabi the, the, like two weeks after that or three weeks after that for us. Maybe it was a bit longer. Yeah, I think, think, think a bit of a break. For yeah. us, it was maybe a bit shorter. But in between them two times, I was still testing the former Ica, getting ready for my season. Um, and then that was it. The announcement, everything got done in Abu Dhabi and I was on my way. But it just got so process so it was such a quick process and at no point until abu until kind of late russia that i ever thought f1 was was possible because i kind of you know i spent so long never being part of a program never being really approached by a program never kind of having this opportunity and then suddenly literally at the last two races of the of formula t- my t- formula 2 career got this opportunity and i was in f1 so I was one of the most unprepared drivers, I think, ever to get into F1. Because I I think everyone's done testing before they arrived to F1. But my first test was literally the day one of Barcelona winter testing. And that was it. And I I span straight away. I span in turn four. And I was like, my God, you know, what have I got myself into? Well, I mean, you did a a cracking job, though, and impressed the team. Got yourself into the big seat and clearly impressed them then throughout the next few years, the fact that they've retained you. So, yeah. Alex, we're really looking forward to seeing how the next chapter of your F1 career goes because I don't know how many chapters there's going to be. Like, <laughs> yeah. You keep, you keep I, jumping I in and out. I, if it can be less of this, this would be like <laughs> if I have less stories to tell about ups and downs and <laughs> just making it and not making it, um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to come on the podcast and just be like, it's just smooth sailing. <laughs> just nothing happened. Just won everything. But then that makes for a boring podcast. So, <laughs> so we're glad you've had the ups and downs. And but I'll, I'll have less wrinkles and less grey hairs. <laughs> well, hopefully it does go smoothly <laughs> for you. And, and thank you very much for your time today and, and good luck next season. Thank you. Thank you very much.